Well, thank you very much, Dr. Flanagan, Dr. Downs, for the opportunity to present the take-home message for uh, bladder cancer. What I should say is it's been a great meeting for bladder cancer with multiple opportunities to speak on the plenary session, with surgical tips, with uh, tumor boards, with late-breaking abstracts, and roughly 275 uh, abstracts presented at the podiums and the posters. The main takeaway today is that there's a lot of excitement going on in bladder cancer, and there's a lot of technology. Some of these studies are pretty early, but I thought we would take today to highlight some of these uh, where there's a lot of innovation going on uh, in the field. I'm going to start just with the hematuria study, as reported by the group from the Netherlands. Over 1,000 patients referred to a urologist for either micro or macroscopic hematuria, and they used a uh, prospective urinary assay uh, based on methylation and mutation markers and uh, were able to detect urothelial carcinoma in 115 patients. This is important because in bladder cancer, we've been starved of good diagnostic tools, and they were able to show with very good accuracy, 93% sensitivity, 81% specificity, uh, a negative predictive value of 99%, and an area under the curve of 95% that they were able to detect the vast majority uh, of cancers. And in the gross hematuria group, they only missed five, uh, five tumors, all uh, low to intermediate risk. We also think about challenges we have with pathologic diagnosis uh, of bladder cancer. And one of the things that was highlighted by a group from the Netherlands is that the reproducibility of a couple of the grading systems that we used in bladder cancer uh, are poor. And that prognostic value of these uh, grading systems really differ between pathologists. So now we see a lot of use of artificial intelligence and deep learning to not only improve grading accuracy using nuclear orientation and shape features, as reported by the Case Western Group, but also to help with the improvement of uh, staging T1 bladder cancer. And what we see in the graphic is the image on the left, uh, what a pathologist might see, but artificial intelligence is using computer-based learning to really look at these pixels smaller and smaller and smaller and to develop a series of features so we can really begin to look at the uh, anatomic uh, view a bit differently. So this uh, artificial intelligence will play an important role in cancer assessment, I believe, in the future. The other thing we've, str we've struggled with is uh, uh, being able to fully ablate or resect tumors. And the group from Romania has been using bipolar uh, tumor ablation on smaller lesions. And at this meeting, they presented some of their results in 120 patients using this strategy in a prospective randomized controlled trial fashion. Uh, for medium-sized tumors, one to three centimeter tumors in size. They use the N-block uh, 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 tool, which you can see in the uh, graphics here, where they literally resecting the tumor in entirety. They were able to demonstrate that the N-block strategy had a decrease in recurrence at one in three years as compared to standard TURBT, with recurrence rates at one year of 3.9%, two years at 6.5%, uh, and that was much improved over standard uh, TURBT. They also demonstrated sh uh, shorter operation times, catheterization periods, and hospital stays. 
The other thing we've struggled with in bladder cancer is bladder cancer surveillance and compliance with treatment strategies. Uh, the group from Dartmouth used administrative data in the VA context to demonstrate that the uh, risk-aligned surveillance is not very common. So you'll see the larger green circle where cystoscopies are being performed for, high, uh, for higher risk patients, yet a lot of the uh, patients that would, would receive those aren't receiving uh, those full cystoscopic regimens. The other thing we have seen is that the group from UCLA is using a population health-oriented clinical dashboard to, one, automatically detect gaps in care through the electronic health record and through the use of a nurse practitioner and navigator really to improve compliance for restaging TURBT, for timely induction BCG after TURBT, and also for completing at least nine uh, treatments of maintenance BCG. Um, we've struggled uh, with uh, our patients having cystectomy and, and their ability to thrive. The group at uh, Vanderbilt and Miami, two groups, have been looking at a nutritional intervention for radical cystectomy patients. This is an early uh, stage trial, but they looked at 60 patients about to go to radical cystectomy, and they were randomized, stratified by age, through the intervention of Ensure, which we all have access to, versus a Sam's Club multivitamin. Although, uh, and they looked at a number of factors, although they did see a reduction in the complication rate, which is a really a challenge, a big challenge for us who treat patients with cystectomy, uh, they did see a lower complication rate, 48% in the group with the intervention, 67% with those taking the uh, uh, multivitamins, but that was not statistically significant. But what they did find was that the group that did get the nutritional intervention actually had uh, a reduction in sarcopenia or wasting. And we know that sarcopenia uh, or wasting of the muscles that can be seen on axial imaging is associated with poor outcomes after cystectomy. So after patients are recovering for cystectomy, we struggle with trying to understand their fitness and really uh, optimize their fitness. One of the groups in London is using a, a new technology, a fitness tracker. They've looked at this piloted in 30 cystectomy patients who were uh, enrolled in the intracorporeal robotic versus open cystectomy trial. And at baseline, one month and three months, they're wearing these fitness trackers for consecutive seven days, and the group is assessing quality of life. What you can see is that they've been able to track uh, patients' steps. They've been able to track uh, some of the fitness protocols that are monitored uh, through their uh, clinic staff. And these, um, this, this, these data have been able uh, to be incorporated in their uh, post-operative uh, management. So I think the important part of this study, it's very early, is to say that trackers are uh, acceptable by patients and we can truly use those to helpfully improve our recovery, another really big challenge we face. Uh, the group at Kansas has used uh, application-based uh, monitoring for patients. And in a, uh, again, an early pilot with 25 patients looking in the preoperative period and the postoperative period out to two to three weeks after cystectomy, they've used several tools for remote vital sign monitoring. What's, so you can see that remotely, they're able to uh, assess temperature, blood pressure, pulse, oxygen saturation, and weight. And this is highly important uh, given the readmission rates in cystectomy that are as high as 25 to 30 uh, percent. They've been uh, working on measuring a number of other uh, variables, but I think this is just great early evidence to suggest that we can use this technology. Uh, the patients are compliant with it. There's early identifications of problems, and hopefully we can extend education to patients at home based on this.
The group at USC has been looking uh, in a national database about some of the survival that may be associated with adjuvant radiation therapy after cystectomy. They used the uh, National Cancer Database and were able to view 419 patients who had had cystectomy and uh, uh, adjuvant radiation therapy. This is a multivariate uh, analysis you're seeing here, and what, you can what we see is that the adjuvant radiation therapy group actually had uh, some improvement in overall survival. This is consistent with some uh, newer data that was just published in JAMA Surgery, again, supporting that we may need to consider radiation oncology consultation radical cystectomy patients with adverse uh, pathology, especially those with positive margins. And lastly, I just want to discuss uh, some interim results that were reported based on the PURE trial. This is a, an exciting trial looking at uh, neoadjuvant pembrolizumab, uh, and this is in the context of patients with muscle-invasive bladder cancer undergoing radical cystectomy. Of course, we've used systemic therapy in the past with, some, with cisplatin, uh, but we know that many patients do not respond. We've used complete pathologic response as our primary surrogate, and in this particular study, again, an early study, phase two uh, of 37 patients, 15 of those patients had a pathologic complete response. That's almost 41%. This rivals the, the uh, pathologic complete responses we see with systemic uh, uh, chemotherapy. Their secondary endpoint was also the proportion of patients that were downstaged beyond um, uh, pathologic T2, in other words, TIS, TA, and T1, and we know that those patients have a better prognosis. And so when you include all of those groups together, there's a 51% rate of complete pathologic response or downstaging, again, really showing some very promising data uh, in the use of uh, single-agent pembrolizumab as a neoadjuvant agent in muscle-invasive bladder cancer. And with that, I think I'll stop and again note that uh, it's an exciting time in bladder cancer. Thank you. Dr. Williams, thank you very much. I want to thank the organizers for giving me the opportunity to do the uh, take-home messages for basic science uh, malignant. Uh, thank you, Dr. Downs, uh, Dr. Flanagan. So including the the Basic Science Symposium, there was about 184 abstracts uh, that covered a wide variety of uh, topics. But what I would like to do is categorize these into several general themes. And I will be giving examples of each of these themes. Uh, so these include uh, characterization of disease biology and its clinical implications, uh, discuss drug resistance and some mechanisms, molecular subtyping of disease, biomarker discovery, disease model, and the role of the tumor microenvironment in modulating disease. So to start, uh, there has been a lot of interest in the role of fatty acid metabolism in prostate cancer. And in this study from Gaston, uh, they previously showed that prostate cancer cells prefer to use an exogenous source of fatty acids rather than make it from scratch. And in this study, they looked at prostate biopsy specimens and compared the mRNA expression of fatty acid synthase, which is responsible for the de novo uh, fatty acid synthesis, and also fatty acid binding protein 5, which is involved in the use of exogenous uh, sources of fatty acid. And in their cohort of men, they were stratified by their BMI 
and by, the, and by their race. And what they found was the FABP5 was preferentially overexpressed in the cores that exhibited high-risk prostate cancer, Gleason 4 and Gleason 5. And they also found that the FABP5 overexpression and the FABP5 FASN ratio was higher in men that were overweight and obese. And diving deeper into their data, they found that African American men uh, with a BMI over 30 also uh, demonstrated uh, overexpression of FABP5. Uh, looking at uh, disease biology in renal cancer, as you know, clear cell kidney cancer is characterized by the preferential use of aerobic glycolysis over oxi oxidative phosphorylation. And in this study, the authors from France uh, looked at the effect of a ketogenic diet on the uh, growth of clear cell renal cancer cells in a, in a mouse model. Here they uh, treated the mice with a ketogenic uh, diet, so a high-fat, low-carbohydrate uh, diet, and they found that uh, tumors uh, growth was inhibited, whether it was a 2 to 1 or a 4 to 1 ketogenic ratio. Moving on to uh, drug resistance, this is a very nice uh, study from Lombard and uh, colleagues. Here they compared the effect of antiandrogens and taxanes on a number of uh, drug-resistant cell lines. Here they demonstrated that cells that were resistant to enzalutamide also demonstrated resistance to abiraterone, and this was seen vice versa. And this uh, uh, resistance was mediated by the expression or overexpression or, over or presence of uh, antigen receptor variants. They also found that cells that were resistant to docetaxel also were resistant to cabazitaxel, and vice versa. And this, uh, this was mediated by the overexpression of the membrane efflux pump ABCB1. Interestingly, they did not uh, observe any interclass resistance. That is, uh, anti-androgen resistant cell lines maintained their sensitivity to taxanes, and this was seen vice versa. Moving on to molecular subtypes, uh, this uh, study by Belou and colleagues looked at the TCGA data for muscle invasive bladder cancer. And here they looked at the distribution of the molecular subtypes among the bladder cancer cases. And they also looked at uh, correlating the presence of these molecular subtypes with certain clinical parameters. Here they found that the majority of bladder cancer cases actually demonstrated a mixed uh, presentation of both basal and luminal subtypes. And they also found that there was no correlation with the presence of these subtypes with clinical parameters such as the development of metastatic disease, lymphovascular invasion, or lymph node status. Looking at uh, subtyping in uh, renal cancer, here this group uh, from New York looked at clear cell papillary renal cell carcinoma. They looked at about 64 of their cases with a follow-up of almost five years, 30% of which were uh, subjected to oncomine uh, testing, and they found with this particular uh, subtype of kidney cancer, no mutations in any of the clinical relevant genes. Also with their long-term follow-up, they, de they demonstrated no evidence of recurrence or metastasis, and at the end of the study deemed this particular subtype as an indolent tumor. 
Moving on to biomarkers, uh, this is a very nice study out of Johns Hopkins. It was a multi-institutional study looking at patients with hematuria. Uh, their uh, DNA assay study called EuroSeq looked at a number of uh, mutations in 11 genes and copy number changes in about 39 chromosome arms. In the number of patients that went on to present or develop bladder cancer, the Euroseq was positive in 68% of those patients. When Euroseq is used by itself, the sensitivity was 83%, and when it was combined with cytology, that sensitivity increased to 95%. In this study, they had about 18 uh, patients with atypia, and those patients who were subsequently found to have bladder cancer, the Euroseq was positive in the, that cohort showing a 100% sensitivity in this subset. Looking at a disease model, here is a study out of uh, MD Anderson. As you know, renal medullary carcinoma is a pretty aggressive cell line. They were able to, to develop a nice mouse model, treated these uh, mice with uh, several systemic therapies, including uh, tyrosine kinase inhibitors. And they found, uh, as you look at the graph on the right, that Combined treatment, gemcitabine and cisplatin, was significantly efficacious in this cohort of, uh, in, this, in this mouse model. Moving on to the tumor microenvironment, uh, this was a, a study that looked at prostate cancer-associated fibroblast from radical prostatectomy specimens from African-American men or Caucasian men. They looked at these specific uh, fibroblast and their response to mitogens, and they found that the, the prostate uh, uh, American, uh, African-American uh, prostate-associated uh, prostate cancer-associated fibroblasts had, more, had a higher proliferation in response to mitogens. When this was uh, co-cultured with prostate cancer cell lines, they found that the induced a more tumorigenic feature, both in vitro and in vivo, and this was mediated by a number of pro-inflammatory mediators. And in my final slide, uh, this study out of Beijing, China, looked at the role of CD4-positive T cells, and they demonstrated that uh, CD4-positive T cells tended to infiltrate in tumors rather than in the normal prostate, and that when you co-cultured the primary prostate cancer cell lines with these cells, they induced uh, docetaxel resistance. And this was mediated by the secretion of the cytokine, CCL5. And when this CCL5 is, uh, is treated with a neutralizing antibody and then put back into this cold culture, it was able to reduce or reverse the uh, resistance to docetaxel. Thank you very much.